Acts chapter 2, verses 10 to 47. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking the, in the breaking of the bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord added to the church daily those being saved amen I wish you all a very good morning the message this morning is on the power of the holy spirit and before i say anything i have to confess to you this is my fourth time of speaking and this is my most nervous time because I can see some new faces, but also my preparation for this um, hasn't been as good as I really wanted. However, as we come to celebrate Pentecost, it's an opportunity to reflect on one of the most remarkable events in the Bible and indeed biblical history. The impact of the coming of the Holy Spirit shaped the church itself, the Christian way of life, and for the Christian individually. The book of Acts, for me, is a book of intrigue, it's a book of adventure, it's a book of power, and throughout its pages, it reflects men like the apostles Peter and Paul who were men of courage and were determined at all costs to fulfill the call of the Lord. The book of Acts is the connecting link between the life of Christ Jesus and the life of the church. And Acts itself connects a history of a dynamic growing church with a community of believers. The works of the Holy Spirit demonstrated that Christianity was and is supernatural. And I encourage you all to read the Acts of the Apostles as it is power-packed with the supernatural events of God. People were gripped by the fear of the Lord. People were awestruck by the power of Peter and Paul's teaching and people enjoyed a new and joyous relationship with the Lord. And as you unravel the book to Acts, and as a very, very quick overview, we see the call to evangelism and the importance of witnessing. We see the coming of the Holy Spirit. You see within the first four chapters, Peter and John preaching powerfully the word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit. The courage of their faith saw them overcome persecution and affliction from the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. They heal the lame beggar at the temple gate, which was known as beautiful. 
we see Peter supernaturally released from prison and from the clutches of Jerusalem's uh, elders and rulers. And we see the first Christian martyr in Stephen. We then see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. And we see the call that Jesus placed on his life to be a minister unto the Gentiles. In chapter 9, we see Peter in Lydda. And here, Peter raises a God-fearing woman from the dead by the name of Tabitha. And then Jesus speaks to Peter in the dream. And he leads him to the house of the Roman centurion, Cornelius. And it's here that Peter realises that the gospel message is indeed for all humankind and to every nation on earth. The book of Acts recalls all the missionary journeys of Paul with the power of the Holy Spirit working powerfully in his ministry. Jail, persecution, shipwrecks, all await Paul. And in his final missionary journey, we see him under house arrest in Rome where he is finally martyred around 64, 65 AD under the Emperor Nero. But as we come to reflect on this morning's passage, the passage adopts the Apostles' doctrine on the foundations on which the Lord's Church is built. Within the passage, it is a mandate from the Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostles, which would ensure spiritual maturity and growth for the Church and for the believers. The passage reminds us of three main principles. Firstly, that the Eastern message is at the heart of the Christian faith. Secondly, the church is called to provide powerful teaching that causes the unsaved to repent and become believers in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, as the church grows, it creates the Easter community so people can respond to the risen Lord. The early church is a set model of how a church should function under the authority of Jesus Christ as the head of the church and then operating under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. We should never view Peter's message to the early church as a one-off. The message applies very much for today. And as we see a decline to our churches and to the Christian faith in the UK, Peter's message to the church is more relevant than ever. And I hold a belief that many churches need to go back to the early churches' way of teaching, the way that we fellowship together, and the way that we pray and worship together. The message and instruction was never there to enforce rules. It was ever, never there to hammer home religious dogma. It was not to place pressure on church leaders to form the most perfect of churches. The message was simply spoken to encourage the church how to function effectively, spiritually, and how to grow community-based churches that would glorify God. The passage also shows that there were no barriers. Everybody was included. There was no class distinction, 
between the rich and the poor. There was no distinction, ethically or culturally. There was no distinction between those with authority and those without authority. The disabled, the oppressed, those with plenty and those with nothing were all seen as equal. And the apostles taught that everybody is equal in the eyes of God. When we consider church transformation, a church has never operated within four walls and with a roof covering. God never designed his church to be a social club. The church is here on earth to transform our communities. The church is here to take the gospel message to a lost and hurting world and to operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we look at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 19, Jesus speaking in Nazareth, where he grew up as a boy, and was his custom to go to a synagogue on the Sabbath, and opening up the scrolls from the prophet Isaiah, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The Great Commission, seen in Matthew 28, does not stop with just evangelism. The power of the gospel message is seen in the above words of Jesus. Notice in our passage this morning from Acts 2.44 that all the believers were together and the believers were filled with awe because of the signs and wonders that were performed by the apostles. And the whole of the Bible is filled with the supernatural events of God. And whilst Jesus and the apostles performed miraculous signs and with the with healing, with the oppressed and delivering people from unclean spirits. Jesus himself tells us in John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me would do the works that I have been doing and they would do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And you know, we should so earnestly pray for God's spirit to fill us with such power, that we should be able to, in faith, to go out into our communities and heal the sick and the lame, to bring people for spiritual release from those who are oppressed. The question always remains, do we have the faith and are we prepared to step out and transform our communities? Even to the point that if people were to come into churches that they would instantly be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Each time I've been given the opportunity to give a message, I normally give some part of my testimony. And I do it primarily because as a, church, a new church member, it gives an opportunity to tell people a little about myself. Unfortunately, I'm not the most sociable of creatures. I grew up in a very, very strict brethren background with good Bible knowledge, accepting Jesus as my Lord and Saviour when I was 12. I was in my early 20s 
when the Lord changed my life with the things of the Holy Spirit. I often don't get things right, but the Lord has used me effectively when I'm walking in tune with his Holy Spirit. I've not on purpose really ever spoken about my time in Africa, and I'm hoping one day there'll be an opportunity to do a presentation with some slides and videos. However, in many parts of the Africas, poverty, spiritual uh, oppression, corruption, disease affects many people. And I have witnessed some things that are exceptionally sad. However, I've met many wonderful Christians in my African troubles, uh, travels, people who radiate God and their Christian faith despite the misery they see. These people believe in the power and supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. They rely on God working supernaturally, especially when they can't get to doctors because there's mass sickness or people are oppressed spiritually. In 2016, I was invited through various church sources to speak at Kagamega's high security prison. And I was to visit in both the men's and the prison, uh, men and women's prisons. And as I approached the women's prison, I could hear the most joyous of singing, women singing in their native Lua and Swahili tongues. Inside the prison, there were over 300 women. Many were serving lifelong sentences. Some of those women had given birth to their children in the prison. Many of those women will never, ever be released. However, they received the word of God graciously, and many came forward to either accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, some came forward for healing, and some just prayer. However, the men's prison was something that was totally different. And as I walked through the men's prison, I felt a very heavy oppression upon me. The lead chaplain there had already tried to stop me from entering the prison. Thankfully, he was overruled by the prison's governor. The men's prison was heavily armed. And after around 15 minutes of speaking, I could sense the prisoners becoming rest, uh, very restless. And there was also a sense that possibly something might occur. And I'm asking you to now kind of read between the lines. But a commotion did start behind me. And a prisoner was taken out from his cell and presented to my good friend, Henry Aburu. Henry, at this time, was the ordained minister at the prison. And the Lord, over a 35 years period, has used him very powerfully with three or four different ministries that he's operated under. This prisoner had been disrupted throughout the night, with the prison guards not really knowing what to do with him. My friend, who I've just mentioned, controlled the situation with the calm and authority that Jesus must have had when he was dealing with the spiritually oppressed. And as I recall the story to you, I saw a prisoner with distorted features. I saw fear and oppression within his face. And a man clearly spiritually oppressed. And I saw a man fall to the ground. Yet as the team prayed for him, 
I saw his distorted features being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his mind was restored back to normal. This is the heartbeat of the gospel message. Jesus came to set the oppressed free, to set the prisoner free, even within the confines of a maximum security prison. And if we are prepared to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that he will use us to do such things. And it's my belief that we should seek earnestly for God's Holy Spirit to fill us with such power. And as I've already said, that we should be able to go out into our communities to heal the sick and to heal those who are oppressed. There are some who believe that the signs and the wonders and that the gifts of the Spirit finished with the apostles. I believe 100% that the supernatural elements of God exist and are indeed for today. I believe 100% that the gifts of the Spirit are for each of us. We all have been given unique gifts by Jesus. Jesus wants us to use those gifts to give glory to God and to show love to others and to see people's lives transformed. And you know, I would not stand here today and give you this message if I did believe it was not so. I believe a time is coming when we will see a new wave of God's spirit working supernaturally in this, in this land again. In 1905, the Welsh revival occurred and it was said that 150,000 people were converted the Holy Spirit swept through Wales with such power that people were walking down the street when they was literally slain in the spirit. People cried in the streets asking and seeking God and to come to Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Miracles occurred and it is said that the crime rates in Wales at that time was almost at nil. During the early 1980s, I witnessed tough men come to Jesus. I witnessed poor churchgoers being filled with the Spirit. And churches opened up its doors to their communities onto tough housing estates. And yes, there was opposition. But people came attracted to Jesus and the message of the gospel. In finishing this part of the message, I will mention the evangelist David Hathaway, an evangelist to the Eastern Communist blocs of Europe. Hathaway was a man who had been imprisoned for his faith. In prison, he suffered two major heart attacks. There was no doctors, there was no medicine, nurses or medical aid. And in his book entitled, The Power of Faith, Hathaway tells us how God came into that prison and healed him miraculously from those heart attacks. In his ministry as an evangelist in Russian prisons, he has seen disabled prisoners literally walk from their chairs. He has seen deformities healed, and he's had the joy of seeing so many prisoners 
coming unto Jesus. This is the power of the gospel message. This is our God. Supernaturally natural. And I believe we should be praying for God's spirit to come upon the UK. And I believe it will happen. In moving on, there were four practices that the church adopted. And we should note from today's reading that these four principles, when adopted, not only transformed the church, but the numbers within the church grew daily. Firstly, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I have to tell you that there's no such thing as a perfect preacher. And I'm still on a massive learning curve. But each of us needs to inhere inspiring messages. Messages that inspire and encourage your faith, that help us to grow. Inspired preaching leads people to Christ Jesus. And it's important you Christians are nurtured into their faith. Teaching does not mean listening to just one sermon each week. Individually, we need to read and study God's holy word. We need to get into the practice of having personal quiet times. And we all need to become faithful in prayer, individually and collectively. Secondly, the church followed being in constant fellowship with each other. Note the early church was devoted to fellowship. The word devoted can mean many, many things. But I believe in the biblical context of this passage, the early church was fully committed to being with each other at every opportunity. Now, I know that in today's age, where we scrabble and try and find enough time to do everything, it's very, very difficult. But the early church were Christians who were loyal to each other. They had a faith that was unfaltering, despite suffering and often constant persecution. They loved each other for who they were in Christ Jesus. And they accepted each other, warts and all, and with all their shortcomings. The early Christians wanted the kind of fellowship that had intimacy with their Lord. And I would suggest that Christian growth comes through a close walk with Jesus, which allows us to have healthy relationships within the church and with each other. The early church, its fellowship, had a purpose and it fulfilled its calling. True fellowship is about serving one another. You will know the story from Matthew 20, where Jesus says that the greatest servant is the one who serves another and considers themselves the least of all. Being servant-hearted is a command from the Lord. It is one that Jesus places on his leaders, but it's also a command to each of us to serve individually. And if we're to transform our churches, our communities, then we need to develop the kind of fellowship that displays kindness, warm-hearted, with the need to be open-handed in the giving of ourselves. Thirdly, the church was devoted to the breaking of the bread. Growing up in a brethren tradition, breaking of the bread each Sunday was done each week. 
Most churches I know have their own traditions regarding the breaking of the bread. But the breaking of the bread gives the believer the opportunity to come into the presence of Christ Jesus. It gives each of us the opportunity to reflect Jesus' great sacrifice on the cross to save lost humanity. It gives us the opportunity to reflect who we are in Christ and the opportunity to rejoice in the new covenant that through the shedding of his blood on Calvary's cross, Jesus' death and resurrection, it allowed the veil that prevented us having access to God being torn in two, allowing the believer into a relationship with God. The breaking of the bread in this act story saw the believers breaking bread within their homes. And I can honestly say I can only ever remember doing that once. The breaking of the bread together creates an unbreakable bond with our Lord. And it also acts as a reciprocal to reconciliation when disagreements occur. Fourthly, the church was devoted to prayer and worship. There are thousands of sermons about prayer and worship, but it will suffice for me to say that I think that we have an exceptionally good worship group. I've learned some new songs, and I enjoy singing some of the older songs. Do we pray enough together as a church? Well, I let that hanging in the air just for a minute. But, it was, but I will suggest that if your personal quiet time or prayer life is poor, not frequent enough, then it remains the same in fellowship. I'm fortunate that because I'm retired, I'm able to sit with my Bible and pray every day. Personally, my best prayers are when I talk to Jesus as I would a best friend or somebody I'm close to. If I make my prayers too religious, I normally lose the theme to what I'm praying about. But note from today's passage, prayer resulted in the signs and wonders being performed. Prayer transforms the church's vision and it changes its direction if necessary. Prayer transforms our communities and prayer brings clarity to the gospel message. Prayer gives the church its authority through Christ Jesus to function as a collective body to carry out the will of God in our lives, in our church, and in our communities. I want to conclude by saying this. It's always a privilege to witness her baptism. And I have to say that I felt quite emotional when Chris, Priscilla, and Daniel entered the baptismal waters and then to be given a personal verse. And my prayer for them is that each of them will cherish those verses as they walk with Jesus and reflect those verses as the years go by. My baptism was 49 years ago and I remember it as if it was yesterday. I was given a verse from Deuteronomy 31.6 and the end of that verse says I will never fail you or forsake you the Lord has kept his promise to me throughout those 49 years and beyond the importance of baptism 
is that we are identifying ourselves with Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Baptism signifies Jesus' death and resurrection, which too becomes ours, along with the newness of life, with the assurance of eternal glory with our Lord. Baptism is all about being in union with God, the Father, Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a command from our Lord, and you can read that command in Matthew 28, verse 19. And I urge anyone, if you haven't been baptised, to do so. Church leaders, mature Christians, have the responsibility to nurture those new to the faith. True discipleship is more than just transferring information, if you like, the A to Z of good Christian practice. True discipleship refers to imitating Jesus' life, embracing his values and following his teaching. A discipler is a shepherd to the church. The discipling of others requires great love, patience and perseverance. And leaders in whatever capacity owe new Christians the attention of their hearts and to lead with integrity and with godly wisdom. The book of Acts is pivotal to the gospel message. Acts gives the geographical expansion of Christianity. It accounts on the struggles in crossing religious divides and even social divides. Acts reveals the struggles of an unhindered gospel message. As in Acts, we face the struggles of delivering an unhindered gospel message. Today, the world is full of challenges, and today, globally, the world is in trouble. The persecuted church remains in many parts of the world, yet the power of the gospel that brings redemption to many and salvation are and is to all that call upon the Lord. As Christians, we are called to deliver an unblemished gospel message to the oppressed, to the lame, to the blind, freedom to the prisoner and help to the poor. I am neither Pentecostal nor charismatic. However, Pentecost came with power. It empowered God's church to operate in its entire fullness. Today, let's be open to the Holy Spirit's leading and accomplish what Jesus intends for his church, this church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.